KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show on the 24th of January, and we're finally going to get some January-like weather here at the end of the week, Bob. Good Boy, that we got that. Uh, like yeah, good that we got that layer of snow, and there's been plenty of that over the last couple of months, so we should be okay. I like the way you define that layer of snow. Yeah. <laughs> What's it been? That's uh, about seventy-three inches so yeah, far. Yeah, something like that. Airport? Seventy-five. Yeah, seventy-five. I think seventy-five point two. Seventy-five now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the average, as I recall, is a little over 80, about 81 inches. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen in March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could end up uh, quite high for snow totals, it looks like. So. We sure could. But as you say, mm-hmm. uh, we got this nice little layer on the ground. It's protecting all the perennial materials. That's tree shrubs and our flowering perennials. So this is all good. No frost in the ground. Shouldn't be any. And, um, you know, when the spring comes, we're going to get a nice, provided we get kind of a slow melt where we shouldn't get a lot of runoff should mm-hmm. run that in the ground get us set for a great gardening season absolutely and that's kind of what this show is all about gardening right bob yeah and you know it's that time of year days are definitely getting a little longer mm-hmm. now aren't they, Dave? yeah five o'clock for sunset for a change uh, you know came as early in december as four fifteen. so <laughs> nice uh, to have yeah. a five o'clock sunset time you know, there's something about uh, moving in the right direction, getting your attitude going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are well accustomed to below zero temperatures, so uh, no problem for the weekend. Uh, little, maybe a little bit of football action for all of us. Uh, well, there you go. Hey, is your tree still up in, inside, or did you move it out? Oh, I'm afraid that one uh, is on the outside right now. All right. It. There's so, another uh, sure sign of spring. Bob has got his tree out. <laughs> yeah. It can only be a matter of weeks now before we have spring. It's kind of hard. I have to wait until the, I begin to see some uh, growth on the on the indoor house plants. You know, I oh. I do enjoy plants of all types, yeah. animals as well, but uh, kind of favor these plants. And uh, we're starting to see some new growth, and this is all it's all very good, Dave. Okay. For sure, good deal. You know, it's it's that time of year when we can take a look at the catalogs. And one thing mm-hmm. I find reassuring in this digital age. Because I'm kind of old school. I like uh, talking directly with you on the phone over AM radio. How about that, Dave? Wow. uh, (laughs) Nonetheless, uh, I like to have a catalog in my hand, a print edition. And, of course, we all uh, do things on on the web and order on the web and so forth. But it's really nice to see the catalog still coming. I know they have to be expensive to print, and yet they're full color. There are more pages this year, which says to me that uh, gardening's here to stay. I guess we all knew that. Uh, we came through the pandemic period and that we had this explosion of interest because people were at home. It's always interesting, uh, but we had a pretty good year in, for us then. And a good year means, you know, uh, adequate rainfall, adequate sunlight, uh, weather conditions that are appropriate, not an early frost, uh, not a late frost in the spring or an early frost in the fall. So we really had some pretty good growing conditions. And that did encourage a lot of folks. Although last year it was kind of interesting, we had uh, winter that hung on. Now it may be different this year. We're mm. we're due for an early spring day, you know. I would not because complain if that happened. It might happen. I mean, I can recall uh, certainly in early to, by mid-April, actually direct <laughs> seeding out in the garden and out in the farm and so forth. We were going strong mid-April, and last year was yeah. mid-May, and we got off to kind of a slow start. I think that uh, we all learned a little something. Uh, you got to follow both the temperatures and the calendar and when the calendar says it's may one we should really be thinking about trying to do what we can get some of our early 
a long maturing uh, frost tolerant transplants out there to take advantage of the season. Yeah, we all got to, myself included, got off to a little bit of a delayed start. Uh, some of our field run tomatoes, we a little slow getting them in the ground, and we kind of paid the price at the other end. Uh, so you can't really give up. Even if you have a cooler spring, you want to make sure that you follow that calendar. We got a lot of light coming in May and June, and we got to capture some of that if we want to, in our relatively short season, if we want to uh, get the most out of our gardens. And uh, this year, as you mentioned last, uh, I think it was last week, that uh, the vegetable of the year is what collard greens. Collard greens, yeah. And uh, so we want to start planting those when. <laughs> well, there's a you know that's interesting because if we're going to expand that and the collards, of course, the southern green vegetable yeah. which we can grow in the area, but uh, I'm assuming that we're going to define that as uh, all the leafy greens, or at least ah, I will, because right. collards are going to keep us kind of limited. But we have a lot of a uh, lot of options, and lettuce tends to be uh, frost tolerant, so uh, we can get off relatively early. We got to watch. <laughs> this year is going to be a little different because we'll have very cool soil temperatures and. Yeah. Uh, lettuce seed and greens will oftentimes germinate very slowly under those cool soil temperatures. But if it's real wet and real cold, and if you're going to use untreated seed, uh, then uh, we have to be a little bit uh, careful. We'll talk about that. We'll we'll take a look at soil temperatures when we come into the uh, month of May here. But the one downside of all that moisture in the soil is that uh, you can rot seed off before it has a chance to germinate. Once we get these little seedlings out of the ground, we get some sprouting occurring, uh, then we can take the moisture, but um, if we don't get them out of the ground, it's cool, it's wet, and this is where actually, uh, and uh, none of us like to use any type of uh, pesticide if we didn't have to, but there's a lot of coated seed out there, particularly on, on warm season crops. As a matter of fact, we had a uh, an innovator, I think he was one of the farm boys from North Dakota. North Dakota's produced some real interesting uh, um uh, inventions that have actually become mainstay. We look at Cirrus Design, you know, that particular plane and company came out of two farm boys in North Dakota, and we look at Bobcat. Bobcat came out of uh, North Dakota, Melrose, or Melrose, I believe it was, mm-hmm. and then, uh, uh, so we have all these innovations, and I think there was a, a farmer that uh, started coating some of the seed because the soils were so cool in North Dakota, started coating uh, some of them with some of these fungicides, and that's what you where you get the pink corn and so forth. The whole ah. idea there is to try to protect that seed from the uh, the fungi that are in the soil that want to attack it before it has a chance to germinate and get out of the ground. So we'll watch that a little bit, and I would say if you're going to use uncoated seed, you have to be more conscious of the temperature of the soil. You don't want to go too early. You want to probably delay your planting a little bit. If you're going to uh, go a little bit earlier, then we'd really recommend uh, something that's uh, coated or, or prepped for protection against some of these soil-bearing uh, fungi. So we've seen that. Um, I've seen it personally where I try to direct seedly, and uh, I've had uh, difficulty with germination on some of the squash and pumpkins if I go too early. I want to capture the season. I'd like, like 120 days if I could there. But if I go too early with an uncoated seed, I've lost a considerable amount in our cool Damn, so we'll watch temperatures as we go forward, but nonetheless, we're going to, uh, we don't want to miss the season. A lot of folks missed the season uh, last year. They got off and didn't want to plant anything in May. There was a psychological barrier with snow on the ground there and yeah. didn't have their plants purchased and bought them and put them in the ground toward the end of June, and that's a little bit too late, quite frankly, to get the maximum benefit. So now basically is the time to start planning what you're going to put in the garden, maybe, and, well, and where you want to put stuff. 
Yeah, really. That's you know that's really a good point. Um, you can take a look at your own personal experience, mm-hmm. and um, you know I think timeliness is really important uh, from my perspective. I'll share this with you. I, I plant and uh, grow quite a few vegetables, and I usually look at a spring season, early mid season, and then a, a later season. And actually, there's some crops for us that are much better as fall crops. So we kind of have seeding and planting schedules that go along with all that. So if you want to maximize the output of your garden, and uh, you know, I'm probably going to do a little segment. I don't know how much appeal there is, but just the economics of uh, of vegetable gardening. Uh, we did a little bit of work on that, did some research and compared it with market prices and how we could get some of our costs down. And you can actually do pretty well with a uh, a fruit or edible garden fruits and and vegetables certainly if you're if you're careful and you watch your inputs and then you got to get some output in other words you have to have some gardening skills there so you don't lose too many crops but um, i think a part of uh, maximizing the output of your garden is going to be uh, capturing the entire season as you can you mentioned leafy greens uh, let's get some lettuce which is always going to be uh, kind of pricey. What we have to always remember is that when you grow your own, you're controlling the inputs. You know exactly what went on there. You can stay completely pesticide free. You've got, and you've also got a source of uh, security in your own food supply. So there are real benefits in terms of quality, freshness, uh, knowing exactly how that plant's being grown. So there's some real benefits other than just the economics of growing your own. But the economics can certainly become a, a factor. Uh, I think uh, you want to think a little bit about production through the entire season, eating as much fresh as you can, growing it uh, in accordance with the organic standards. In other words, not using any pesticides and other things so that then it's a higher value crop for you. And then, of course, preservation at the other end, drying, freezing, canning, all of these things to carry that uh, that crop through the winter. And uh, I'm pretty busy during the growing season, but I always manage to find a, a little time to put some sweet corn and put some green beans and so forth in the freezer, enjoying them now. They're not hard to freeze. You just got to uh, pick them in a timely manner. I got to blanch them typically and get them in the freezer and, you know, Ziploc bags. They don't have to last for years and years, so you don't have to do anything too exotic. But it's really nice to be able to pull some of these things out of the uh, out of the freezer at this time because again, the quality is there. Even after you freeze them, the quality is exceptional. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there are there's the economic factor as well of of saving a little bit on the food budget at least, and also improving really the quality of your diet. Every every place you read, we need to go back to more fruits and vegetables, uh, more of a plant based diet. We really got to uh, try to do what we can. And there are some definite benefits that have been documented along those lines, Dave. Speaking of economics, can we grow eggs, Bob? <laughs> oh, boy, isn't that something? <laughs> I think we are going to see a lot more small flocks around <laughs> this year than those that yeah. haven't. Uh, that's been a little bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. You know, we've come to take uh, this bountiful food supply we have for granted, and then all of a sudden we get a reminder <laughs> that uh, these are biological yeah. systems we're dealing with. They could have problems just like with the pandemic. Uh, we're not invincible, even with all of our technology, uh, which we've been able to avoid a lot of the problems. But uh, not like you've just got a plant and you're manufacturing something. You're dealing with the weather and you're dealing with uh, the potential for disease. Same thing with our vegetable crops. We never really know, and we get a chance here. We'll talk some tomatoes, tomato varieties, and what we saw last year, some of the diseases, and how we're kind of looking at uh, preventing uh, that same thing from reoccurring this year. But 
You're right, Dave. Uh, prices are kind of shocking in many ways, aren't they? We're not used to that. 928 now at KDAL. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. Uh, let's talk tomatoes. I know that's a pretty popular crop around here. Big crop. Big North American crop, which is real interesting. For the longest time, you know, the crop came out of uh, Central and Mexico and Central America, and for the longest time, people thought it was poisonous. Uh, it is in the nightshade family, Solanaceae, and there are some poisonous plants, and the leaves themselves contain uh, some of these toxins, so we never want to eat the leaves. Just good good advice, you never want to eat the leaves of any green plant, but uh, certainly it is in the deadly nightshade family, the Solanaceae, and for the longest time it had that reputation of, of uh, not being edible, and of course uh, it took a few brave souls that actually introduced that, and uh, we started to consume them, and it became went from being something that they, people would grow just for ornamental purposes, went to a plant that's become the number one garden crop in uh, in North America, probably in the world for that matter. And we mentioned this before. Uh, there are at least fifteen thousand different varieties. It crosses uh, pretty easily if people want to have some fun. I did a little crossing myself a few years ago. Never introduced anything, just looking for some early season varieties and. Uh, you can cross pollen pretty uh, pretty readily on them and get some um, new fruit, of course, and from that you can save the seeds. So they cross quite readily. Uh, there is uh, still a manual process of doing that crossing, so there's quite a bit of labor involved, and a lot of the hybridization actually occurs in the lower uh, wage areas of the world. Is where, uh, matter of fact, I've, I've said to people, you know, you know where the lowest wages are when you can. Uh, find out where some of this seed is crossed and hybridized. used to be China, and of course now it's moved to other parts of Asia. But nonetheless, um, lots of varieties out there, and this is really nice for us because uh, we're so, we obviously this is a warm season crop. We're in a cooler area, and even during the hottest days of our summer, it's really not the intense heat that they get in other parts of uh, the United States or the world, so we're really looking for varieties. We've got a relatively short uh, season. We're looking for varieties that will produce within this frost frost portion of the season, varieties that uh, uh, will really uh, do well under our our conditions, lots of light but a shorter season. And uh, so we're always looking for them. We've got many, and I've got a top ten variety out there that's changing just a little bit. So we'll probably introduce those just a little bit as we look at some of the newer varieties. And one of the new things we're seeing, Dave, is we're seeing some disease resistance. Unfortunately, we saw some disease issues last year. Uh, we typically have got foliar fungal diseases with tomatoes. This would be early blight, septoria blight, and then another disease. Now, they're all specific with different fungi causing the problem, but uh, one called late blight, Phytophthora infestans is the Latin for that one, which happens to mean great plant destroyer, and I know we've got listeners in this area. Uh, anywhere north of Cotton in St. Louis County, there was a real problem with late blight this last year. And it comes in, it hits you very hard, very fast, and one day you've got beautiful plants and beautiful fruit beginning to ripen, and the next day you've got dead plants and mushy fruit. So. Wow. It uh, it can hit very fast over a period of two three days. It's a fungal spore that blows in the wind, and um, conditions have to be right. And the interesting thing is, it does best when we don't get the intense heat. Apparently, the intense heat, if you get days above 90 degrees, uh, prevents these fungal spores from germinating. So it was very interesting. The farther north we went, the more late blight we saw last year. We didn't see a lot of it right around Duluth or over in Wisconsin, but when we moved our our way uh, worked our way farther north, and what they didn't get those couple of 90 degree days uh, that we had, 
certainly it attacked uh, real voraciously. Gets the, gets the potatoes, gets the um, tomatoes. I didn't see a lot of it on peppers, though. They're all closely related, of course, all in this nightshade family. But uh, we certainly saw it on tomatoes. So I'm bringing back a variety that I actually had in the trials a while ago. It's a variety called Defiant. You can get it from a number of different seed sources now. And I think it was named because it had some obvious resistance. Uh, initially, when they made the claim, they claimed the resistance both early blight and late blight. Early blight we see almost every year. It's not as devastating as late blight, but it definitely impacts the the health of the plant. When you impact the health of the plant, you're going to really impact the quality of the fruit uh, as well as the yield of the fruit. So early blight is something we'd like to see some genetic resistance in the plants. We've been looking for that for a long time. I know the breeders have. This one came along, and they claimed there was resistance. I actually put a trial out, a, a controlled study where I used... Uh, areas where um, I knew we were going to have uh, controls, other varieties, and we had a lot of early blight, and I just didn't see any resistance to early blight at all. Went back to the breeders and said, here's my data. And uh, they took that claim out of their catalogs, but they are retaining the claim that uh, it does resist late blight, and uh, we have that relatively infrequently, so I didn't look for that. But nonetheless, um, I'm, I feel that the, they, they're confident there's some late blight resistance. So it's a good tomato, yields well, uh, performs nicely for us. I believe it's about a 72, 75-day tomato. So that one's going to go back on a recommended list just in, the, <laughs> just in the event that we get more of this late blight. And so it's such a devastating disease, and so many people were impacted by it last year in the northern part of our listening area there. So that's number 10. Yeah, that, that might right. be number 11, or I'll have to pull oh. another one out. <laughs> but uh, the interesting thing, we have another tomato disease, if All I right. can uh, bore you for a little bit longer, one sure. called uh, uh, to, uh, spotted uh, tomato mosaic virus, and it's one that was a problem uh, farther south for a long time. We didn't see it, and I saw that um, for the first time in uh, our trials last year again, it was scattered. It was one out of maybe 15 plants, but nonetheless, it's, again, quite devastating. looks a little different. It's a, it's a virus as opposed to a fungus. Virus are very difficult to treat. Fungi, we, you know, we've got some ways to control that. We've got some fungicides. Uh, viruses are very difficult to control, and you really have to have some resistance. So the nice thing about being this far north is a lot of these diseases, as well as insects, they'll get to us eventually, but... It's oftentimes several years later that they see them a little bit farther south, and then the industry goes to work and the breeders try to look for resistance, and by the time it gets here, and this is the case with this uh, particular viral disease, um, there's already some resistant varieties out there. Now, I've noticed this year in the genetics, uh, they're just putting a plus, and I, I, I just have to take what I'm reading because I've not tried some of these newer varieties, but... They're incorporating some disease resistance into the DNA of the uh, of these tomato varieties. So they're taking a variety. I'll use Celebrity. We most people grow it. We enjoy it. It's a good, it's a good uh, slicing tomato. Performs in most years extremely well for us. But uh, they've added in a, in a variety called uh, Celebrity Plus, which supposedly has this improved disease package and actually will uh, resist some of the uh, spotted tomato uh, virus. So. Uh, we'll have to see. I don't know what the performance looks like, uh, what's in a name. I'm not really sure if that's going to be just as good a variety, just with better disease resistance, but we're going to take a look. But I've also noticed that we've got uh, 
Celebrity Plus now. We've got Better Boy Plus. We've got uh, Big Beef Plus. We've got Early Girl Plus. So they're using this terminology mm-hmm. in many, many ways, and we're uh, we're going to take a look at it at least. And I, I think it's probably going to be a good idea to uh, to look for these varieties that have resistance uh, to this disease because. When it does hit, it can, again, be very, uh, very devastating. So people want to get tomatoes, and we've always got uh, many, many new introductions. And if I could point out one that I'm going to take a look at this year, it's, it's an All-American selection. I may not be able to get the seed this year with the All-American selection process. Sometimes uh, they evaluate these varieties, they introduce them, but they haven't been able to really ramp up the uh, the amount of seed that's being produced. But if you can get it, there's a, a paste tomato called Zenzai, Z-E-N-Z-E-I. And uh, we talk about the economics of, of, of the vegetable garden. If you like uh, to preserve uh, tomato paste uh, for your spaghetti sauce or other uses, your uh, salsas and other things, you want a real pasty tomato. It's got a lot of uh, the uh, the um, these types of tomatoes. Uh, the paste tomatoes have got a lot of flesh, not quite as much water. And anyone that's trying to take a slicing tomato, where well, you want them, you want a slicer to be nice and juicy for your BLT sandwiches. Uh, all that water, when you're trying to freeze it and can it and preserve it, you got to boil a lot of that down. So that extra water really isn't as beneficial for a sauce, uh, if that's what you're looking for. Hence the paste tomatoes, and. Uh, all, virtually all of paste tomatoes are what we call indeterminates. The plants are large, they grow, they're, a little, they're productive, but they're a little difficult to handle and to manage. So this one is an early season variety, uh, Zenzai, and it's a what's called a bushy indeterminate. In other words, it does not grow quite as wild as some of the indeterminates, so we can manage it just a little bit better. If we're going to stake them, we can have shorter stakes, three or four feet in height instead of six or eight feet in height. And it's apparently a very good eating tomato. I've not tried it, but I think uh, there definitely might be a place early season. All the descriptions look good. So if we get some seed, we're going to take a look at that one. So it's real interesting with all of the new varieties, and there are literally hundreds of them. Uh, I actually started counting them up, and in the catalogs in front of me, I was able to access 1,500 varieties just yeah, there's there's just all kinds of them out there. So to select uh, eight or ten or twelve, uh, you really have to uh, look at a lot of different varieties. But this is one that has some potential. One we're going to take a look at, as well as the other plus varieties, and see if in fact there is some resistance there, and if in fact they are just as good as the uh, the parent varieties there. Right. So we'll take another break here, real quick. You bet. Lots of fun with tomatoes, always. <laughs> all right, hold on. We'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. All right, Bob, you got your slicing tomatoes. You got your, uh, I guess, uh, paste tomatoes. What's the best tomato for just picking off the vine and taking a bite? Oh, I think, uh, <laughs> well, if you want a real early one, I'll mention one here called Fourth of July, which is Ooh. real nice for us. Good name on it. Yeah. Um, happens to be a burpee variety, and they haven't released that anyplace else. So that's, that's a good one. And then any of these others I, I mentioned, Celebrity is going to be great for you. Uh, we've got one that I really think is excellent called Pole Big. It's got a funny name and a funny shape, P-O-L-B-I-G. <laughs> that one is just tastes so good that you have to overlook the fact it's a, a little bit odd-shaped. But uh, nonetheless, uh, those are some very, very good. I think so many of these, once you get them vine ripened, uh, that's the key, a nice sweet tomato. But to get that, again, we've got to capture all that sunlight in June, so we've got to be a little careful. They're frost-sensitive, so we can't go too early. 
but we can't wait an extra two weeks. Those two weeks uh, can make a difference, so we got to get them out and, and get them going. You know, Dave, I'll mention the fact that, you know, um, for whatever it's worth, I do produce a suggested variety list, vegetable varieties for northern Minnesota, but many of these would apply certainly in the Wisconsin as well. I've got that 2023 edition done uh, with some of these comments about uh, resistance to some of the disease. We've had some major changes. I would just, uh, we start off with asparagus, and if I can just comment about that quickly, sure. for, for the longest time, and asparagus, uh, one of my favorite crops. It's one of these things that takes a little while to get established. About you got to plan on about three years before you're really doing any harvesting. You got to you put the crowns in the ground. You get a good site, full sun, good drainage, and then after about uh, the second year, you can harvest a little, and then that third year, you can really start to harvest. Great crops. Um, when you grow your own, there's no pesticides. So much of what we have, this crop is imported. I'm always a little reluctant. Uh, we don't have the same kind of food safety laws in other countries that we have in the United States, so I'd rather be growing my own here. But we had a series called uh, uh, the Jersey Series, um, came out of originally out of Rutgers out in New Jersey, and uh, there's a major grower out there. I'm not exactly sure what happened because we had Jersey Giant, Jersey Knight, Jersey Supreme. Uh, we loved them all. I've planted them. I've got them in the ground, and they were hardy and very productive for us. But uh, they gave it up. I guess uh, this growing stuff can be pretty difficult and challenging, and maybe uh, and something happened there, and we no longer have that Jersey series. Now, fortunately, we have another variety that I think is even a little better called Millennium. So if you're looking for uh, uh, an asparagus variety, you're going to get it established. Uh, this is one spelled M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-U-M, Millennium. It's very hardy. It's more productive, I think, than uh Actually, I saw one study on it that was done in northern Minnesota that uh, looked at the yields. It, it yields even better than some of the Jersey varieties. And um, that was actually a Canadian introduction, University of Guelph and Guelph, Canada, Ontario, I believe it is. And uh, they've got a great reputation, great uh, horticultural program. So we're fortunate to have that one. They're, they're now scrambling to fill that void, so there are a lot of other newer varieties uh, that you can find various places. But... I've not taken a look at them. I've not seen any research studies on them. So I think uh, we're back to Mary Washington, which is an old open-seeded, open-pollinated varieties, and uh, Millennium. And uh, now we've got some purple varieties, a couple of those that really look pretty good to us as well. It's a great, great crop. Um, it's one of those crops that will provide forever for you for a long, long time, but it does take a little while to get established. But that's on the recommended list. If people want a copy of that, uh, they can call the St. Louis County Extension Office at seven two two zero. Oh boy, I can't even remember the number right now. But <laughs> look it up on the web. There you uh, go, County Extension get, Office. They'll get a copy out for you. There is a right. charge for the postage and whatnot, but sure. they'll get a copy out for you. Sounds good. Hey Bob, we'll take another break and be right back. It's the uh, Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. Winter in the Northland and the fun in the snow has begun. But when it snows, it also brings work. Stop into Duluth Lawn and Sport for all your outdoor winter needs, including a large selection of errands, snowblowers, plus ATVs and UTVs from Polaris, Can-Am, and CF Motor to get all your outdoor work done. Of course, the outdoors can also be fun. 
trails, you'll want to ride the best snowmobiles in the business. The Loop Lawn and Sport has Polaris and ski ready for you. If what you're looking for isn't in stock, they can order it. The Loop Lawn and Sport's got the clothing you need from Climb and 509. The Loop Lawn and Sport's service department can keep all your machines running at peak performance. Stop by, call the Loop Lawn and Sport, let them take care of all your outdoor needs. 4715 Grand Avenue, their website, thelooplawnandsport.com. That website, once again, thelooplawnandsport.com. Happy winter from the Loop Lawn and Sport. Matilda's Dog Bakery and Pet Nutrition Center is your go-to store for all your pets' needs. They carry homemade treats and chews, greeting cards for animal lovers, toys, collars, leashes, coats, and booties for your four-legged friends. And go check out Matilda's huge selection of premium food for both dogs and cats. Matilda's carries dry, wet, frozen, raw, and dried food and premium brands like Fromm, Natural and Delicious, Nutrisource, Pure Vita, and much more. Follow Matilda's Dog Bakery on Facebook and visit them with your furry friends in Lakeside, just across from the Lake Walk. Minnesota Timberwolves basketball. Off the Gobert screen, top of the key, down the lane to the corner. McDaniels, yes! Jaden seals the deal with 115 left to play. On either AM 970 or 610 and 103.9. KDAL. Well, in the paint, out to Garza, left side three on the way is good. Luca from deep. It's the Timberwolves and the New Orleans Pelicans. Wednesday evening, pregame starting at 630, 610, and FM 103.9. KDAL. This is the Bob Olin Show, supported by Dan's Garden Center, located at Dan's Feed Bin in Superior. And by the WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Call now, 218-722-0839. If you have questions for our master gardener, the phone number, again, is 722-0839. All right, Bob, we got a, a question on the phone this morning. Hi, who's this? My name's Pat. Go ahead, Pat. What's up? Bob, I know you're talking about asparagus, and we do have an asparagus patch, and we are moving, and we're very sad to leave it. Is there any way we can transplant it? Yes, you can. Um, I would suggest... It's very mature, is it? Um, yes, I would say it is. Um, we probably had it for oh, probably six years. Okay. I think what you're going to have to do is you're going to come in uh, very early in the spring. What is that time schedule going to work for you? That's, yes, it will work, yes. Oh, that's good. And they won't, uh, whoever, assuming someone bought the other property, uh, they won't be upset if you take it with you? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you want to. Sometimes you want to sell to non-gardeners, and then they say, "Yeah, get it out of here." So anyway, <laughs> uh, I would go very early in the spring, as soon as the now there's no frost out there, so you want to be a little careful. But those uh, those crowns, when you when you dig them up, you'll see what's called a crown, which has a lot of little legs and buds coming. I would uh, I would uh, be very careful about your site selection for the new location. You want to make sure that you've got all of the perennial weeds out of there. This would be grasses and uh, things you can fight forever with a uh, perennial like uh, like asparagus. So you want to spend a little time prepping that, uh, ideally for asparagus full sun and good drainage, a sandier soil or better location. If you need to, if you've got a heavier soil, modify that area. So spend some time early and try to um, get that area prepped weed-free, good drainage, full sun, and uh, and then as soon as you can, uh, move those crowns in. And you're going to probably have to treat them just like a new bed where you'll set those crowns out about uh, six to eight inches apart. 
uh, you will dig a trench, and then you'll backfill with this lighter soil, and then uh, just let them grow out, and I wouldn't be harvesting at all the first or very lightly on the second year and just try to encourage them. So you can definitely move the crowns. Uh, I would definitely give it a try, and uh, yet I think you're going to have to treat it just as if it's a new bed that's going to be established. Okay. Now, would you agree with me, though, it's one of the real delicacies of the world, freshly harvested uh, asparagus. (laughs) Yeah, and the nice yeah, thing that's, is we can... That's, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we're very sad to leave it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's also one of those crops you get to harvest very early in the year when you're waiting for everything else to come along. Exactly. But it's, uh, it is a delicacy and fresh like that. And as I mentioned, um, it's not an import. It comes out of your backyard, so uh, you'll just have to give it a little patience. But nonetheless, uh, I think it's a good idea to try to move, particularly if it's performed really well for you. And I did mention if you're not successful or if you've got enough space, try this new variety uh, called Millennium, and that you can get those uh, those crowns as well. So I, I think uh, what I might do, I'd move some, and then I'd, I'd increase the amount of space, and I'd get some of this new Millennium in there as well for you. Okay? Perfect. Okay, thank you so much, Bob. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for, for the call. call. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it is really, and it's a very high-value crop. Uh, it's it's absolutely del- delicious. People are roasting it, and they they use it so many different ways in soups and other things. But it it comes in abundance. It takes just a little while to get here. Uh, I guess you got to wait for good things. You got to be a little patient and wait a little longer. Eh? Yeah, it's sad. Even transplanting, you're still got. It's like you said. It's like new. You have to wait another couple three years before it's going to produce. Yeah, it's going to take a while because that transplant wow. shock. Uh, so. You know, there's a little bit of a toss-up here. You obviously have got the crowns. You've got something that performs real well, so there's no expense in in starting uh, from scratch again. But nonetheless, uh, you're going to have to wait a little longer again. All right. Well, there you go. That's uh, the latest on asparagus. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk. That's a great, it is a great <laughs> crop for the Northland. There are so many of these perennials. They take a little time. If we looked at raspberries, strawberries, other things oh, uh, like that, they take a little time as right. well. But, boy, I'll tell you, once you got them in the ground, they sh- they sure are a wonderful, Dave. Okay, we had the uh, slicing tomatoes. We had the paste tomatoes. We had the uh, juicy eating them now p- tomatoes. How about throwing tomatoes? What's the best for the throwing tomatoes? <laughs> well, I hope we don't have to throw, <laughs> throw too many of them. We've got cherry tomatoes as well. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, boy, we got some new introductions there. Uh, folks may be familiar with this variety called Sun Gold, uh, which is a tangerine-colored uh, tomato. We've got a variety that was uh, not derived from it, but introduced a little later. Whenever you got a real great variety out there, the breeders kind of uh, try to do some copycat stuff. I don't know if they reverse engineer it. They probably look at the genetics, uh, but we've got another uh, tangerine cherry tomato out there called Sun Sugar, which we like a little bit better because it doesn't crack quite as readily as Sun Gold does. But one area I'm looking at, these are all what we call indeterminate. These are tomatoes that grow yeah, a little hard to get a handle on because they really want to grow, uh, you know, to 8, 10 feet in height, and they can get very, very bushy. They're a little hard to manage for everyone. You need some kind of a trellising system. So I'm looking for what we call determinate. These are the, the tomatoes that grow up to 3, 4 feet. They can be staked and caged real easily. So I'm actually looking at uh, some of the determinate 
cherry tomatoes. Not too many of them out there, but nonetheless, uh, there are a few, and I want to evaluate some of those as well. We're going to have some fun. We're going to talk a lot about uh, seed varieties. we got one program coming up in Mount Iron on uh, March 8th. I'll just mention that. We'll have more details there in our spring extravaganza as well. We'll certainly have a, a segment there on, uh, on new varieties that are coming along as well. That'll be on April 15th down in Duluth. So All right. lots of stuff coming up, and we'll continue to share what we found in some of our trials with you over the air here, Dave. Bob, we'll be back with you again next Tuesday. It will be yet another week closer to planting season. We will, and in the meantime, uh, closer to the Super Bowl as well. Ah, that's true. <laughs> right. Okay, Dave, that's all have a good week. fun. You we'll bet. figure out a way to get through the cold weekend, won't we? There you go. There we Catch go. Catch you Tuesday. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feed Bent in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.